most companies come together with people who came from companies before and have a notion of what, whether it's marketing driven or sales driven, and they try to force fit that onto their new product. And what this says is you have to sit down and think it through all over again. Mark's comment is right on for another key lesson of greatness. When a startup goes to market, it should focus on whether its strategy is sales intensive or marketing intensive. Let's talk about why. Welcome to Starting Greatness, a podcast dedicated to ambitious founders who want to go from nothing to awesome super fast. When you're a startup founder, you have to channel your inner James Bond, your MacGyver, your Wonder Woman. I'm going to help you win by curating the lessons of the super performers, but before they were successful. So without further ado, ignition sequence start. Let's get started. In our last lesson of greatness, we mentioned Mark Leslie's sales learning curve. In part two of our interview, Mark offers another robust framework called Leslie's Compass. When a startup product goes to market, the two key muscles it can flex are marketing and sales. Most startups know this intuitively, but the Compass suggests that marketing and sales are counterbalances. In nearly every facet of a startup product, marketing or sales takes the natural lead in getting the product to customers. This shouldn't be a political question or about playing favorites. It's a question about the dynamics of the product market and target customers to be served. Startups often pour resources into sales and marketing in unfocused ways because lots of ideas for going to market sound good. Leslie's Compass is a simple set of heuristics to bring more clarity and focus to your strategy. At the heart of the framework and a startup's go-to-market strategy is a key question. Is your product marketing intensive or sales intensive? To illustrate how the framework addresses this, Mark examines two extreme examples, Procter & Gamble's Crest toothpaste and General Electric's jet engines. Key to the compass is a crucial set of variables to hash out. Crest is an extreme example of a marketing intensive product. It's low cost, it's bought by millions of consumers, simple to operate, has a high fit and finish, and it's ready to use immediately after purchase. And although Procter & Gamble would like lifetime customers for its toothpaste, it has a very low switching cost, and sometimes even a coupon can influence an individual purchase decision. Have you ever met a P&G sales representative who's extolled the virtues of Crest versus Colgate? Of course not. To succeed as a product, Crest must deliver a product that is bought rather than sold. The GE jet engine typifies the sales-intensive product. The engine's price tag is in the millions of dollars. It's sold to about 100 airplane manufacturers and requires extensive engineering and customization after the sale. It's the ultimate selling experience because it's a design win. Jet engine manufacturers spend a long time building the products and defining and fulfilling contracts in a very high-touch way. It's not surprising you'll never see a GE jet engine offered for sale at Walmart or at the supermarket. To win, GE must acknowledge that jet engines must be sold. Many startups would prefer to offer a product that's bought, like car insurance, rather than a product that's sold like life insurance. But this is where founders sometimes get trapped. The market doesn't care what your preference is. I've met many startups that say, we want to go to market like Google. We want a product that's bought. They don't want to hire a big sales force. They want customers to engage their product in a self-service way. This is great because it lowers sales costs and marketing costs. And don't get me wrong, 
High margins and low go-to-market costs are fantastic. Google has a great business. But if you go to market this way with a product that is hard for the customer to understand, deploy, and use entirely on their own, you'll most certainly fail. After all, you can't let the elements of your go-to-market compass be misaligned and inconsistent. Your product's go-to-market strategy should reflect what it takes to optimally get distribution of your product, which is where the seven product variables of Leslie's compass come into play. The seven variables are related to price, market size, complexity, fit and finish, business versus consumer, and the scope of the customer relationship. In each variable of Leslie's compass, marketing and sales are counterbalanced in how you think of resources and focus. The less marketing is harnessed to bring a product to market, the more sales must step in. If sales is not driving the go-to-market strategy, the more marketing must. In nearly every case, either marketing or sales takes the lead in getting the product to customers. Both can play a role, but one is the principal driver. So let's talk about the key questions and variables Leslie's Compass asks to tease this out. Question one is about price. Is this a large or small economic decision for the buyer? You can't afford to sell a $2 tube of toothpaste. The total cost of a typical sales rep wouldn't support it. No one goes door-to-door saying, let me explain the benefits of Crest over Colgate. But on the other hand, say you've got a jet engine that costs $100,000 to build and you need to sell it for more than a million dollars. Now you're in a sales-intensive go-to-market motion. You must explain to the customer how they will get a return on investment using your product relative to their alternatives. Question two is about market size. Is it easier for them to find you or for you to find them? In Leslie's Compass, market size is determined by the number of potential customers rather than the revenues generated by the market. For example, billions of people need toothpaste, but less than 100 airframe manufacturers are shopping for jet engines. In our interviews, Mark mentioned that Veritas's original product was an operating system component that the company sold to systems manufacturers as part of their Unix operating system. At that time, there were roughly 100 systems manufacturers, so spending money on ads or on mailing lists didn't make sense. A better strategy was to go to the industry shows because it was easier for Veritas to find customers by finding them there. Question three is about complexity. Can a customer self-serve to use the product, or is education required? When it comes to the level of complexity, some products are effortlessly simple, while others require education, manuals, and customization for customers to get utility. Jet engines are composed of complex and varied components, while operating a tube of toothpaste is completely self-evident. SAP Enterprise software can take hundreds of people years to implement. As a complex product, it has to be sold. Ride-sharing apps like Uber and Lyft are supremely simple for the consumer. We all remember the first time we opened the app, figured out how to request a car, and watched it come to us on the map. Question four is about fit and finish. After all is designed, built, and shipped, is there still much more for the customer to do? As toothpaste literally comes out of the box or tube, by definition, it has a high fit and finish. But when a jet engine is purchased, that's just the start. It has to interface with other parts of the plane. Some products are highly complex and need a high fit and finish. For example, a Tesla or any other car for that matter. All you need to do is turn your key and press a button to start it, even though it's a complex feat of engineering. This is why fit and finish is not the same as complexity. Question five is about business to business versus business to consumer. Am I predominantly selling directly to people or companies? 
Each requires its own type of relationship, but it's key to note that it's a variability question and not just a volume question. The vast majority of people need toothpaste, but the vast majority of businesses do not need a jet engine. Question six is about your customer relationship timeframe. Do I measure successful customer relationships primarily by transactions or longevity? This question gets at the nature of the relationship with a customer. Do you expect to have a long-term relationship with increasing revenue over time or more transactions with increasing frequency over time? Though there is the issue of brand loyalty, there will be hundreds of tubes of toothpaste bought by a customer over her lifetime. Given that jet engines last many years and there are roughly 100 manufacturers, there are orders of magnitude fewer deals per year. The longer the lifetime of the relationship, the more consideration goes into how I deliver and sell this product. Question seven is about whether your relationship is high touch or low touch. Linked with customer economic lifetime is whether the product requires high touch or low touch selling. Selling jet engines often requires a design win, a very long complex technical campaign that results in many sales over the years long lifetime of a particular model. It requires relationship building and may be worth billions of dollars over 20 to 30 years. Low touch sales don't require the ability to land and expand or customize sales according to the relationship. It takes little history to buy the same or different toothpaste. So what does this mean for you? How can you use Leslie's Compass for your startup? If your answers to the seven questions align with the marketing side of the topics, marketing should take the lead with the go-to-market strategy. If the vast majority of the answers align on the sales side, sales should take the lead. If you're marketing intensive, such as with Crest Toothpaste, the product is bought. If it's sales intensive, like with a GE jet engine, the product is sold. If you are marketing intensive, then marketing has primacy and sales serves marketing. Marketing generates the demand. Its campaigns create a strong enough appetite that people buy the product on their own. Sales serves this effort by lining up distributors, retailers, and merchandisers so the product has a place where it can be found by buyers. Back to the example of Procter & Gamble, one of the most highly valued jobs there with the greatest upward career prospects is that of the brand manager. If you're sales intensive, sales has primacy and marketing serves sales. Here, marketing's responsibility is to provide enough qualified leads to the sales organization. They manage various lead sources through an organized pipeline structure, and they create programs to find and attract prospects. The heart of the organization's success is for the sales team to convert a qualified lead to a customer win. If you are roughly evenly split among these seven variables between sales and marketing, you likely have a focus problem. You might be letting your desires for a certain go-to-market strategy cloud your judgment about the best fit strategy that aligns with the realities of your startup's product and market characteristics. So the question I will leave you with is, do you have a product that should be bought or sold? And what does the answer mean for you when it comes to focusing your go-to-market strategy? Thanks for listening to this lesson of greatness. I appreciate you listening, and I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. And if you like the show, I'd be grateful if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And until we catch up again, I hope you never let go of your inner power to do great things in whatever matters to you. Thank you for listening.